So, hello. Um, I'm Alice. I'm one of the pastors here. It's lovely to be here this evening. Um, I actually gave this preach over the summer to our morning service guys back in August. So maybe you were there then and you're hearing this for the second time. Hey, me too. So, you know. <laughs> um, in fact, I actually then also gave this uh, preach at another vineyard church over the summer as well. So, But it feels like... Um, It was part of our series that we were doing over the summer here in Cardiff um, called The Stories Jesus Told. And you may or may not have been around for some of that. But it felt like um, as I was writing it and then as I went and gave it at this other church as well, just that like it's really felt like a word for this season that we find ourselves in. And like the Lord's word, not my word for this season. And it's interesting, like everything we have sung this evening basically has said what I want to say this evening. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm not saying that as a discouragement, I'm encouraged because I just feel like the Lord is speaking really clearly at the moment and we find us, continue to find ourselves in a strange season, maybe in uncharted territories. And I just feel like the word, the, the story, the simple story, a story that Jesus told, I mean, a long, long time ago, stands firm today. And that's what I want to share this evening. It's a simple message, but as I said, one that I felt the Lord say, we need to be reminded of in this moment we find ourselves in. So that's why Paul asked me to come and give it this evening. Today, I want to look at the story that Jesus told about the wise and foolish builders. And you can find that in both Matthew and Luke's account of Jesus's life, but we're going to be in Matthew's version of it if you want to turn to it. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. It'll come up on the screen because the wonderful Joe is at the back making things turn up. There we go. So here we go. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, I didn't grow up in church, but as a young child, my mum would drop us off at the local Sunday school when she had jobs to do at home and wanted us out the house. So I remember from those Sunday school visits singing a song about this parable along with some pretty jazzy actions. Does anyone else, are you all too young? Do you all remember? The wise man built Yeah, there you go. You don't have to sing it all. We get it. Yeah, we get it. I think you would have carried on going, guys. Well done. I mean, a great song, perhaps. You know, we should really do that in the worship, guys. Come on. Who doesn't love a song with actions? Some of you are like me, I do not like a song with actions, fair enough. (laughs) But I do wonder, through the wonder of that song, whether we are in danger of making more jolly a story that is actually rather serious. Maybe we're in danger of missing the point. For the second man in this story, the one who builds his house on the sand, this story ends in disaster. Yeah, the, uh, when I was writing this talk back in the summer, we had a mini flood in our downstairs bathroom. My eldest son came upstairs early in the morning. It was like 6.30 in the morning. He was downstairs watching telly while we were in bed asleep. Oh, yes, great parenting. And he comes up and he's like, Mummy, Daddy, there's a funny noise in the downstairs bathroom. And I kind of, you know, oh, Matt, off you go. So Matt went down. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Clearly that's his territory. So he went down and he came back up and he was like, 
we do indeed have a problem, went down. And there's this kind of, I'm not technically minded, which will show as I describe this thing, but it's like this flexi hose pipe thing that comes out the back of the sink in the downstairs loo. And it had like sprung a bit of a leak and water was just kind of squirting out of it. It was spraying out of it. And so I pulled down this flexi hose pipe thing. And um, as I did so, the whole thing then burst open. So water just started properly flooding. I mean, literally, because I had a bucket, buckets and buckets and buckets of water. Now, to make matters worse, the stopcock in our house is boxed off, so we cannot access it. We're now trying to rectify that. I feel like I should that. So Matt went out onto the street where we've, we, if we've ever had to turn the water off in the past, there's the bit in the street and you can pull up the hatch thing and it's there. Now, it turns out we hadn't realised, because how often do you check it? That also has now got a leak in it. So in fact, actually, Matt is just, is just kind of met with this little, like, just like this pile of water and mud. He's like got his hand deep in this thing trying to find the stopcock. He does locate it with his hand, but it is like absolutely jammed shut. He cannot turn the water off. It was all going wrong. I mean, water was everywhere. I can laugh at it now, but it was actually pretty scary. Now, thankfully, we are like best, we are blessed with like the nicest bunch of people on our road. And opposite us lives one of those men who are like practical men who reassuringly know how to do everything. You know, one of those types, and obviously makes for, you know, he's a good friend to us. So we ran over. I was like, in desperation, I was like, I have to, I just went over and I started knocking his door. I ran over in my pyjamas. I mean, absolutely drenched. Remember, it's 6.30 in the morning. So I go over and I'm hammering on his door like, Adrian, help! And he opens the door and I say, you know, our downstairs tap is leaking. Now his wife is upstairs in bed. She thought I said that someone was bleeding. So she runs down, the two of them run over and uh, over they come. Now, thankfully, he is like blessed in ways that Matt and I clearly are not, and he managed to turn the whole thing off. Though reassuringly, it did take him some time. I mean, obviously, there was more buckets of water in the meantime, but at least we knew it wasn't just like a done. It took him a little bit of time, but he managed to turn the whole thing off. And you know what? He was so sweet. He then, unasked by us, but welcomed by us, he then came after work that day. He'd gone and found the bit that we needed, and he mended the whole thing for us, just turned up. Oh, you guys really want to come and live on my street. Um, you know, it was funny, it was literally then later on in the day, I then sat down to finish writing this talk and I had that moment of like wondering about the significance that that would happen to me while writing a preach about a foolish man whose house floods. I was like, Lord, should I be offended? Anyway, it all turned out okay for us. But you know, for a while, genuinely, it was actually pretty scary. It was pretty frightening. Water just pouring into our house. Likewise here in this story, you know, put aside any of your Sunday school experiences aside, if you have them for a moment, See here that Jesus is actually telling a rather serious story, both in terms of the story itself and in terms of the message that he is driving towards. In this disarmingly simple way that Jesus had over the course of just a few sentences, Jesus gives a vivid warning of the danger of building your life on anything other than him, on his way for our lives. And notice he actually tells two stories within the story. You know, there's two men, there's two houses, there's two different outcomes which point to two different realities. And what Jesus is saying to the people listening, and then by extension us, he's saying there are these two choices before you. Do you want to build your life on me or not? You choose. Which of these realities do you want to be true in your life? And notice how Jesus, I mean, Jesus was the master storyteller, wasn't he? Notice how he uses contrast throughout the parable to kind of drive home the point that he's making, to make clear that there are these two paths ahead of us. And so I just want to consider some of these contrasts that we find in the story as we work together this evening, as we work through the story together. The first one is this, 
wise and foolish. We're told that one man is wise, verse 24, and one is foolish, verse 26. And the word wise here in the original Greek kind of means considered, thoughtful, showing great understanding. And foolishness, well, is not lacking these things. Wisdom versus foolishness. That is the contrast that Jesus is making. Not good versus bad. Not even saved versus not saved. Though, of course, this will come into it and is of eternal significance. No, the contrast Jesus is actually making here, if you notice, is between being wise or foolish. And for Jesus, a wise person is someone, in verse 24, you'll see, hears his words, his teachings, and puts them into practice. They live their life by them. He's talking about not just one yes to him, but a lifetime of yeses to him. It's worth realising that Jesus tells this story at the end of his longest block of teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, obviously, I'm not going to read it all through this evening, but it's Matthew 5 to 7. You might want to have a look at it this week. If you were to look through that sermon, you would see that Jesus teaches across the width and breadth of the Christian experience, or just life in general, actually. He looks at what it means to be a disciple. He teaches on anger, lust, integrity, marriage, caring for the poor, how to pray, how to forgive, how to fast, how to handle our money, how to be light bearers to the world around us. He speaks into our tendency to worry and to have anxiety, our propensity to judge others. It is all in there, Matthew 5 to 7. And what Jesus is doing is he paints this beautiful picture of what the Christian life, what our discipleship to him can be like as we walk it out in the day-to-day stuff of life with him as our guide. Jesus tells us here that wisdom comes from hearing and doing, that wise people are marked by their obedience, a lifetime of yeses to his teachings, to his way of life, to his kingdom message. James quoted Eugene Peterson last week, who said this, discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. And that direction is towards Jesus, to looking more and more like the one we follow. And we talk about that in this church a lot, to live like Jesus. That's our discipleship strategy, to look more and more like the one that we follow. That's the trajectory of our lives. And of course, remember, just as like an aside, that we, we obey out of empowerment by the Holy Spirit to do so. Jesus commands only what he empowers. It's the Holy Spirit in us, bearing fruit in us, that enables us to move beyond sheer willpower. I mean, willpower can get us so far, right? But not far enough. It's the Holy Spirit in us that allows us to move beyond that into living in more and more freedom, which Jesus, which to Jesus is synonymous with more and more obedience. This is wisdom, Jesus is saying, the best choice you'll ever make, a life in the Spirit where we move more and more towards the things of Jesus, where our lives line up more and more to look like the one we follow. Jesus is like, this makes sense. I mean, this is the best way that anyone could ever choose to live their lives. Wise or foolish, and then secondly, rock or sand. The wise person knows that when we choose to live this way, it's like we build our lives on a firm foundation. Now, I don't know about you, but um, when I've kind of read this story in the past, I've always been probably inspired by these Sunday school days, our kids' colouring sheet or something. I've always kind of pictured it with almost like a seaside scene in mind. You kind of got these two guys and they're each setting out to build their house. And um, one decides to build his house up on like a cliff, you know, on this rock, a cliff face up there, somewhere up nice, high, kind of sturdy away from the sea. And the other kind of chooses to build his house down on the sand, you know, think like Barry Bados, if you like. And he chooses to, no, I want to be on the sand. I'm going to build my house there. And even as a child, when I knew they heard this story, I knew that was a stupid thing to do because if you've ever built a sandcastle, you know that's not going to last forever. 
That's not the vibe of what's going on here in this parable. If you've ever looked at it and seen it the way I saw it, that's actually not what's going on. You see, in the hot summer months, the sand around the Sea of Galilee, the area where Jesus is teaching this story, it was hard on the surface. It looked like rock. So it would be easy to mistake it as such and to build your life on it, to build your house on it, to think that you were building on something more solid than you actually were. In contrast, a wise builder would know that appearances can be deceptive. They would know that they needed to build several feet below the surface of the rock, down to the bedrock under it, the rock under the sand, in order to establish a firm foundation for the house. The rock was underneath the sand. Less of my childhood understanding that here's this cliff and then here's the other one down on the, down on the sand. No, this story is not about location as much as it is about foundations. This is a story about having a foundation for your life or not. That is the choice Jesus is presenting. These two houses could have, been, could have been built side by side, in fact, you know, on the same street, one with foundations and one without. You know, Matt and I, when we first got married, we moved to London and um, we ended up, God's story, we ended up below in this like, amazing um, flat, just on the outskirts of this like, beautiful area of London called Barnes in West London. It's like a super fancy area. And around this area, we weren't in the really fancy bit, but around this area, there was like, these, all these uh, streets that had these like, beautiful, beautiful like, Georgian mansions in them, you know, home to the mega rich. And there was this growing trend, something that they're still happening today, um, that the owners of these houses, um, they, they'd, you know, they'd want to expand their houses, but this is like West London, right? So there's not loads of room each side. So what they would do is, you know, they would build underneath the house and they would excavate the basement, maybe a couple of floors underneath the house to put in things like, you know, their kind of, I don't know, gyms and swimming pools and somewhere to park your Porsche and private cinemas. You know, we've all done likewise in our own houses, I'm sure. Well, one day, one of these houses that we'd lived near just fell down. The whole thing just collapsed. No one was hurt, I should say. But it turned out that the excavation work that was happening underneath this basement and putting in these extra floors, they'd unintentionally built out, uh, dug out the foundations of the house. And this house had been standing for some time, literally on nothing. And then one day, the whole thing went. Jesus' point is that it's foolish to build a house, which of course in this story is a metaphor for your life on anything other than him. And of course, as we'll go on to see in a minute, it all might look okay for a while, but it's only a matter of time till a storm comes along and you realise that your life just can't stand up to it, that there is nothing solid underneath you. Jesus is saying that he is the only firm foundation on which you can build your life. Jesus elsewhere refers to himself as the cornerstone. It's the same metaphor, referring back to prophecies we find, like the one in Psalm 118, as chapter 20, oh, where is it? Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. He is the cornerstone, our firm foundation. And did you see that? We rejoice and be glad because this is simply the best news. This is pure grace. Did you see that? He says, this is because of his doing. Verse 23, this is the Lord's doing. A precious gift because of what Jesus did, his doing on the cross, dying for us, overcoming death itself, that we get to be in relationship with him, that we get to build our lives on him as the firm foundation. There is no better place on which you can build your life. Don't build your life on anything other than Jesus. Just think for a moment of how powerful it is that Jesus would use the image of building a house or a home as a metaphor for our relationship with him. 
Just think of just the very feelings that the word home creates in us. You know, what do you feel as I say that word home? Home speaks of a sense of place, a sense of identity, a sense of security, of belonging, of being known. You know, Jesus commands us in John 15 to make our home in him. You know, it says, abide in me, remain in me. Throughout that chapter, Jesus just says it again and again, abide in me, remain in me, repetitively. And that literally means make your home in me. That's the invitation of Jesus. Get your place in this world from me, your sense of identity from me, your sense of security from me, your sense of acceptance from me, your sense of belonging from me. What an invitation that is, isn't it? I mean, don't you just want to say yes to that again? But of course, it's easy to say yes, but then to build your life on something else, to make our home elsewhere, to build on what looks like rock, but is actually sand. To get your sense of place, identity, security, belonging elsewhere. What is your house, your life being built on? Where do you get your sense of place, identity, security, belonging? Maybe your house is built on other people's approval. Maybe it's built on always feeling financially secure or on being successful or being busy or on achieving all the time. Maybe it's built on church ministry or on being loved and accepted or on being a saviour to others, on being needed. Maybe it's on being right all the time. Maybe it's simply on your football team winning or the next Amazon package arriving or how well your child does on their next exam. Maybe it's on unhealthy relationships. You know, you you, you need to feel desired in order to feel loved. Maybe it's built on having great family or great friends or a great job or like having a profile on your social media that looks like you do. Some of you know that you are literally building on sand at the moment, that your life is not in a stable, healthy place. And I'm talking, you literally know it feels like your life is about to fall apart any second. Maybe you've got some really unhealthy patterns in your life right now. It feels like the whole thing could come crashing down. And we're going to pray for you at the end. For others of us, This might not feel so obvious, especially as some of these things that I just read out, not all of them, but some of these things are of themselves good things. They should just never become the ultimate thing. It's easy to think you are building on rock when actually you're building on sand. What are you building your life on right now that isn't Jesus's way for your life? And so, as we've said, building your house on sand can work for so long. It can get you so far. The problem often comes when the weather changes. Wise or foolish, rock or sand, and then thirdly, stand or fall. Just look at how the story ends. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so the question I felt like I need to ask this evening is this. Are you storm ready? Is your life storm ready? In Luke's account, Jesus says this in Luke 6, 48, when the flood came. Notice that word when. Underline it in your Bible, if you do that, or just in your brain at least. Underline it. When, not if. When. That's the language of Scripture. When, not if. Psalm 23, 4. Even when, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. When, not if. We all need a theology in place for our lives, a foundation on which we can stand for when difficulty arises. What do you want your faith to look like in those moments when difficulty comes? Now, like many of you, I mean, I've been through some difficult things in my life. When I was 22, I just moved to uh, Nottingham. I was about to start the discipleship year at Trent Vineyard. I was super excited to be doing that. And then I lost my mum. And then a few years later, 
My stepdad passed away too. He was essentially being a dad to me. And he also passed away. I lost them both in my 20s. It was unbelievably difficult. And I've had people say to me, Christians included, of course, how can your faith stand firm in those times? How can you believe that God is good or real or that prayer makes a difference? And hear me, there is validity and permission in asking those questions. Of course there is, if you're asking them in the room this evening. I've asked them myself. But having journeyed through that awfully hard season, that horrendous season in my life, alongside family members who don't have faith in Jesus, you know, family members who, like me, were in this deep place of unimaginable grief, but but unlike me, had no foundations on Jesus, on the rock. I've come to see the choice before us in those stormy seasons slightly differently. When the storm comes, when, not if. You can choose to go through those times with God or without God. Clinging on to him despite the deep mystery of suffering, despite the questions, despite the seemingly unanswered prayers. Or you can allow yourself to just be cut adrift. And I know which choice I'd rather make. Now, please hear me say this. I cannot do justice right here this evening to the mystery of why it is that we go through such times of suffering. Please do not hear any kind of neat, pat theology from me here in this moment. Any of you that know me at all know that is not how I roll. I know how unhelpful that can be. I do know, however, that one day all things will be made right. And I hang on to that promise as a foundation in my life. When the storm comes, when not if, you can choose to go through these seasons with God or without God, with Jesus as your foundation or not. And I know which I'd rather do. What are you building your life on right now? Are you storm ready? He is to be the only foundation in our lives, the only thing that remains when all else is stripped away, when anything else that we've built our lives on is exposed as sand, not rock. And of course, this is true for us both in moments of personal individual difficulty, but also in times of collective difficulty. I mean, I don't think it'd be too much of a stretch to say that the last few years have been as traumatic or as unsettling as anything that most of us have known in our lifetimes. And of course, looking at the barometers for this season ahead, I would say it's clear that we have got more storms on the horizon. I mean, if you want to freak out right now, there's a lot that you could freak out about. I think people, generally speaking, are scared and rattled. Now more than ever, people need to hear the truth that faith in Jesus is the only foundation on which you can build your life. For some of us today, it is like you are in the middle of that storm, clinging on to Jesus. So let this talk, if that's you, be a reminder, a word of hope to look forward in faith, not fear. If you're full of fear right now, look forward in faith as you hear these words. Verse 25, the rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Build your life on Jesus, on his way for your life. You will not fall. Whatever comes your way this side of heaven, he will have the last word on the other side. For others of us, you're you're not in the midst of a, a storm per se, but you do just have this sense of unease, unhappiness, a longing in your soul. Something just doesn't feel right. And I've come to think of this feeling as like a spiritual homesickness. 
If any of you have ever been homesick, you'll know it's like a dreadful feeling, isn't it? It's horrible when you actually feel homesick. You know, as a, as a child with divorced parents, I'd go a few times a year to stay with my dad and his new wife. And for many reasons that I won't go into now, it was really, really difficult for me. I was very, very little, like, you know, four or five years old at the time. And I'd go for a, over a few years of my life, I'd go there a couple of times a year. And I just remember, if I think about those times, I just remember that feeling of homesickness that was with me as a little girl of just feeling all at sea, out of kilter, just longing to go home. And you know, this is still a feeling that in some ways I can still feel at times, especially in seasons of change or uncertainty or when I'm full of fear. I just have this longing for home. The Welsh have a great word for it, you may have heard, hiraith. Hiraith. A deep longing for something, especially one's home. I mean, there's no kind of English equivalent, but often that's what I have. I have this deep sense of hiraith. Even though I have a lovely home and a lovely family and, you know, I'm so blessed in so many ways, I can still have this longing and I've come to understand that this feeling is ultimately a longing for a home that awaits me when I'm finally at home with Jesus and all is well. But, of course, the kingdom message of Jesus is both future and now. We get to experience the future that awaits us now, today. Jesus promises that we can make our home in him now, this side of eternity, as well as forever on the other side. Our faith is a homecoming faith. Do you know this? We literally just sung it. Just think of the story of the prodigal son, if you know it. The story, the son comes home to where he's meant to be. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've never come home. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. This evening is a good moment to say yes. So when these feelings, this kind of feeling of unease, this spiritual um, homesickness kind of comes up in my own heart, I've come to see it as a warning light on the dashboard of my soul that I need to push more into the things of Jesus, to come home to him. It's a warning sign that maybe I've been building my life on sand, on something that might look good, but ultimately isn't Jesus. It's a reminder that I've lost sight on Jesus, the only firm foundation. If that's you today, if that's you this evening, come before Jesus and invite him to be the rock of your life again. Prioritise time with him above anything else this week. Push back into Jesus. Do not be tempted to fill that feeling that you feel with anything other than Jesus. That is where it goes horribly, horribly wrong. If that is how you're feeling, fill it with Jesus, nothing else. Abide in him, make your home in him. And maybe for all of us, this simple, powerful story that Jesus told like a really long time ago is just that reminder to continue to press forward in our discipleship to Jesus to give him our yes again, a lifetime of yeses, to listen to what he has to say and respond in obedience in every area of our lives, holding nothing back, knowing that storms will come, knowing that he is the only firm foundation.